Welcome to Easter Hangover, right? <clears throat> Sunday after is always, they refer to it as Easter Hangover Day, but I'm going to invite you today. We've still got something great planned for us to Ephesians chapter 5 is what we're going to dive into. We're going to start a new series on family. We're going to dismiss our 10, 11 year olds for their class. This topic of family, I know as soon as I say something uh, related to family or that we're going to dive into the topic of family, uh, sometimes, depending on where you are in life, you may feel a little ostracized by a subject matter such as family. You may feel like you don't have the, the typical uh, you know, white picket fence, 2.5 kids and a dog that just is always obedient and does everything that you want. Um, but, but that is okay. And the reason is, is because when we talk about the biological family that we're going to enter, to enter into in discussion over these next four weeks, the way that we learn how the biological family uh, works is really symbolically represented for us, and maybe not just symbolically, but actively, I should say, represented for us in another family in which God has created, which is his spiritual family. And when we, we learn to function within the biological family, the place that gives us the idea of how God desires for us uh, to, to live life within the biological family, we should see that emulated within the spiritual family as an example. And so when we talk about family and what God calls us to in the biological family, the application that we use for that family is drawn from God's spiritual family because God has created two uh, families for us. Now, those families can intertwine. Those families can interact together. Sometimes your, your biological family is also a part of the spiritual family. But God has created both of, of those families for us. In fact, Jesus refers to the church as his bride. And the terms that he often uses as it relates to us with each other within his church is, is brothers and sisters. You'll see that in Scripture. The Bible encourages men to treat the ladies as sisters and, and ladies to do the same thing with, uh, with, towards the men. There is this family, this community that God is building together. And so when we learn how to operate within the biological family, we see how it relates to the, the spiritual family. It, it is the illustration for us for what we take into our, our local families, our, uh, in our day-to-day lives, within our homes, as we see it modeled within our church family. And so when we talk about the family, the reason we shouldn't feel isolated this morning is the principles that we are going to apply to the biological family relate across the board and how we interact with each other spiritually. And so today, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sort of put a a target on the map for us and say, this is what we're driving for. This is what God has called us to in family, both spiritually and biologically. This is what it looks like for us, or maybe even, it doesn't even have to necessarily be a biological family. Maybe you're in a place in life where you've, you've, you've been adopted and somewhere previously, and so the family, you would say, isn't necessarily biological, but it is your family. So today, what we're going to look at is the target. What does God have for us in what we call our family and how we function? What is the target? And in the, in the weeks ahead, we're going to explain how that works. We're going to look, look together at what it looks like for us to, 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 to operate in the how of how to build that family as God desires, how, how to build the bonds within those relationships. And then we're going to talk the last two weeks on family feuds, right? How do we operate when, one, I'm the aggressive person. Like, you ever get that place in your life where you just, you got steam coming out your ears and you're blowing up your kids? You're like, why do I keep blowing up here? How do I work through? How do I navigate through this conflict? We're going to talk about that. How do we work through when those, in those tense moments where you can't just contain it anymore and you just kind of spew things and, you, and then you, you realize, man, I just keep messing up. How do, I, how do I work through that? What is God's desire? And then what if you're on the other side, right? I mean, we know in a relationship, it's always just one person that's the problem, right? 
right? Yeah, okay. But how do you work through that from the other side? If, if you can see that someone in the family relationship is, is, is just frustrated and you want the best for them, how do, you, how do you work through that to encourage what God desires within the family? And when you talk about family, I, I recognize that, that words within the family are not emotional, neutral words. There are feelings attached to it. For instance, when I just say the word father or, or mother or, or brother or sister, when you when you picture those within your minds, there are, there's a lot of a, a emotional attachment that comes along with that, uh, some good and, and some bad. In fact, when you think about your family, maybe, maybe you were like me when you were a kid, uh, you think... Um, yeah, at some point that you're no longer the cool family. Like, you, look at, you look at other families like, wait, they're the cool family. And, and, then, and then you want to be part of those families. And you realize after a while, wait, wait, what I had at home wasn't that bad. And, and I can remember my sister growing up, she, she used to say, um, or she used to look at the, the, the family around her and me, her brother, and she'd just say, I can't be from these people, right? I mean, they're crazy. At some point, my mom's going to come and just tell me I was adopted. I belong somewhere else. These, I can't get along with, with what's going on. This is, this is crazy. Or, or maybe this is you where you're like, you know, um, no one in my family is as smart as I am. And so when everyone else figures that out and just jumps on board with doing everything the way that I want to get it done, then everything will be great, Right? And I would just say, if the world was centered to revolve around you, that is a wonderful plan. Um, but reality is, it's not going to work like that. And, 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 in, and when everyone lives to please you, really no one walks away happy. And so a family for us doesn't have neutral feelings. I mean, some of us here this morning could be at the place where you're ready to throw in the towel and just feel like you just want to quit. Or maybe, maybe you're on the top of the mountain right now and you're thinking the way that my family's working and how it's going, everything's great. And so I don't want to talk about anything this morning that might mess that up, right? So, so don't, don't pull any skeletons out of the closet. But I, I, I want to just say for us as, as, as families, it's important that we understand how, um, how we're functioning as a family or what we're doing as a family it's really important to start with the target that creates all of that. So when your family launches in a trajectory, if you're in those seasons of life that are just good, that we understand that it's not just, it's not just this random season that happened to come together, but it really came, in toge- came together because you're pursuing God's intentional plan for what the family is. And so when you're living that out, when, when, you, when you find your family getting disoriented as to what God's called you to do, you can reorient to what, 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 what God's desire is for the family so you can get back on the plane and operating together. So it's important to, to just start with the question of what God desires for you so then you can answer the question, how? And when the Bible begins, the Bible starts with biological family. It starts with, with the home. It, it, it starts in Genesis 2. God creates man. He says, it's not good, man. This is not good, bro. I got, we have got to do something to fix this place. And so he creates woman. And then he says, it's very good. And God gives us the, the, the definition as to why he's creating the family in the world. In Genesis 1.27, it said, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God creates family and his desires for the family to be a blessing to the world. 
that what happens in the home, that God's intentions were, were for the family to be good and from the goodness of the, that family that they're able to bless the world. When the family functions and lives in the way that God has designed it, the family becomes a blessing to everything around it. And so that's what he says. You're, you're fruitful and multiply. Utah's really good at that second part. And then we fill the earth, right? And, and, then, and then we take care of the land. We subdue it. And the way the family functions helps the world to, to be a better place. And then he says in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 24, if you're asked the question, well, how exactly uh, does that work? How, how does the family create that environment where, where they bless the world? And, and it's really found in one word. And And it says this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea of one flesh has has this thought of of unity. It's, It's the husband and wife so glued together that you can't tell where one ends and the other one begins. They are They are united. And from the unity of that relationship, there's fruitfulness, there's multiplying. And then as, as that cohesive unit learns to function to, together, then the family begins to see a model for them and how they are to operate as well. And when you talk about this word unity, this idea of two becoming one flesh, I want to be very careful in saying what I mean by unity is not uniformity. There is a big difference between unity and uniformity. Because when we talk about a family living in, in uniformity, if, if you strive for that, you will render each other useless. And here's what I mean. Um, parents, if, if you're sitting at home one day and your kid goes, you know, I'm heading to school today. After school, I'll be taken off for my 40-hour-a-week job to provide for the family. Don't worry about the brothers and sisters. I'll be picking them up, taking them to all the appointments. When I get home or during my lunch hour, come back. I'll make dinner. I'll, I'll do the dishes, and I will uh, take care of the laundry right before I go to bed. I'll only wake up the next day and do it all over again. I got the bills already taken care of. I paid them this week, and I'm out of here. See you later. I mean, for like a week, you as parents would be like, man, this is pretty sweet, right? <laughs> you gonna do If you can going let you do that, we're going to just uh, chill for a while, take a vacation, check out. But after a while, you're going to begin to realize that, that this child that took on all these responsibilities is wearing every hat. There's every hat being worn by them. And you're going to start to question, okay, where do I fit into this family? I mean, they got every responsibility on their shoulders. They're taking care of it all. I'm just kind of floating around out here with no purpose to contribute to what my family's about. I mean, uniformity, that's what it illustrates, that everything that one person does, everyone does that. Unity's different. Unity understands that God gifts everyone in their own individual self to contribute to the family. You want an illustration? You think about the larger family that God has created within his church. The Bible tells us that God has gifted us all differently. And the purpose of those gifts are to give them away so that we are a blessing to one another. The family's the same way. And you think about husband and wife. I mean, you don't have to go very far to recognize there are some differences here. I like to joke sometimes and say, you sweat, grow weird hair, guys, and, and, and smell bad. And, and she doesn't. And there you see the differences. And you like that, right? That is, thank God that doesn't happen to her. But for you, that's, that's, there's, there's a difference. And recognizing the uniqueness in which God has created you helps the family not to live in uniformity, but to walk in unity. 
God's desire for the family is to understand that everyone is gifted differently however your family looks and each person within that family works together to make a difference in in that family as it experiences the unity that God has created them for. It makes them attractive and people desire to be around that and it becomes a blessing to the world. And you think about a, a church family in that sense, when we, when we live united together and God uses us to exercise our gifts for one another, that in that church, in that community, the beauty of that is that it makes a difference and, and people are attracted to that and they want to be a part of something that gives life and not causes death. When you talk about the word death, you'll see this in, in James in a couple of weeks, but, but it doesn't just have, mean physical death. The things that you spew in a relationship, you can literally kill the relationship. But when you're working for the benefit of, of each other in this common unity towards a goal, when we're talking about unity, it's not to serve someone so that they can achieve their personal goal in a selfish way, but it's the common goal God has created for us. And when that happens, when there's unity, when, when, when there's joy in those relationships, it breathes life. And people want to be around that. They want to experience that. When a church is living that out and they see it accomplishing what God's called it to in this world and it, it's attractive, there's life in that and people want to belong to that. And we say all this and when you're, you look at this and you think, okay, that, that is just harmoniously beautiful. These families together, united, and they're blessing the world, but that ain't me. <laughs> I mean, if you think about my family, you're, you're, maybe you say to yourself, it is the definition of dysfunction. I can tell you, um, all you got to do to feel a little at home is read the Bible. It doesn't take long. God says this in Genesis chapter 2, and then within a few verses, Adam and Eve walk away from God and, and two of their children are attacking each other and one of them kills the other one. And he, the, the idea of God setting this target was important for Adam and Eve to understand because it didn't take very long before they got off center for what God has created them in him for. And, and so through this, this, this dysfunction, you see within the very first family that it's so severe, there's death and there's walking away from God. And, and you can even say to yourself, you know, that's, that's comforting this morning, but that's not what I want for my family, right? I want better. I want better for my family. I want better for my kids. And so even though there's, there's dysfunction, are you telling me this morning that, that God's, God's desire for us as a family, that, I can, that we can experience that, that I can have that? And I'm saying to you, yes, yes. I think it's possible. Right? In fact, um, sometimes we get to a place where this is hard to believe but because family gets so stressful. But God created your family to be a blessing. God's intentions for the family were good. God's intentions for the church family are good. And we understand why he created us in this. We, we walk in that. We experience that goodness. Now, I'm going to just <clears throat> set a little platform before I, I go a little further and, and say this. Um, what God wants most in your family is the hearts of the people that make up your family, Okay? We're going to talk about some how and some things to help your family and for us specifically. 
but what I don't want to walk away with is, is a bunch of to-dos. What I want us to understand is that we're all human beings, and God has created our heart beautifully, wonderfully, and that's really what God's after. He's not after us just changing our performance. What he's after is our hearts and community with him and with one another. And that's really important because that, that really sets the difference between living your family as a, re, a religious lifestyle and living your family in relationship. And we say this as a theme of our church. We take this as a theme to our church into our homes. God's not after behavior modification. He's after heart transformation. And here's why. When God created us, he created us for relationship in him. When Jesus gave the two greatest commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others. Those two commandments that God gave aren't task-oriented, they're relational-oriented. God created you with relationship with him, relationship to one another. i got to tell you, whatever your family is right now, however you would define your family in your life, the greatest amount of responsibility or the greatest ministry you're ever going to have in this world is your family. God gives you an opportunity in a place 24 hours a day, seven days a week to impact a heart for, for him and to live for his glory. And so when we look at these passages of Scripture in Genesis, it sort of sets the, the precedent. And, and really, when you, when you study family within the Bible, every verse, I think, that relates directly to family from here on out alludes to this, if not directly quotes from it. Jesus, when he talked about family in Matthew 19, he's quoting directly from this. Paul wrote about it in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter 3. Paul also wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 7. But all of it alludes back to this because this, this sets the framework, the foundation for why God has created us. It's not task-driven as much as it's relationally experienced. And, and so when we experience that in relationship, one of the ways that we experience it is through the things that we do. But everything we do is driven towards not behavior modification, not performance, but the heart. God is after the heart. And so when you think, okay, how does this look specifically? Well, Ephesians 5, when Paul writes it for us, he really gives a a more tangible explanation for us because he starts Ephesians 5 talking about uh, the example for all of us. In the broader context, Ephesians 5 is saying, listen, church family, right? Church family, this is how we function within our church. And he's going to specifically then illustrate that to the biological family or to, to the common family outside of the church family when he gets further in this text. But this is what he says in Ephesians 5 and verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What, what he's saying here is the precedent for us and how we live our lives has been set. If you want a tangible example of what it means to walk in unity and be a blessing, here it is. It's Jesus. Jesus demonstrates that for us. And, and, and this is what he wants us to recognize as he calls us to live this out is that you're dearly loved. God has, has lavished his, his love on you and you, you find your peace in him and that's what gives you the opportunity in this to push back the darkness in other places of, of life. It's because the place that you found security and family is in, is in God. And it says, and we walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why? Well, in a family... No one's more important than anyone else. 
God's calling us to serve in this way because God has made us all beautifully. God has made us all uniquely. And God has placed his value on us by, by, by giving us life and dying for us. No one is more important than someone else. And so the way that you approach family becomes very important because in society today, we, we are taught very well to use and leverage everything for us, right? It's about me being happy. I get married so that I will be happy. And, and uh, everyone needs to serve me and everything needs to tailor to me so that I am I'm happy. And the reality is when you start living life that way, in the end what you find is no one's happy. People don't want to just live life just to serve you so that you can achieve whatever it is that your goal is apart from everyone else. That's isolating. And it helps, it doesn't allow everyone to develop a community together on mission together. It makes a bunch of individuals going, who knows what, in what direction. And in the end, you end up in a home of a bunch of individuals without any common purpose or goal other than they live under the same roof. And so what he's saying here is that in family, no one is more important than anyone else. That God has set the example in the way that we are to, to live for one another. And I'll tell you this, I'm going to skip ahead over the next 13 verses. But if you were to read this this week, in Ephesians chapter 5, what he does is he explains, here's alternatives to life. God, God wants you to live this way and experience this, and here's alternatives. And in verse 15, this is what he says. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And so what he's saying is, um, He's not saying get obsessive and every second of every day, live it for that purpose. What he's saying in the the make the most of every opportunity, there's a few different words for for time in scripture. And this opportunity they're saying is under the the idea of, of the expanse of what a family is. When you consider, when you take a step back and you look at how family life should go, as you consider that, Consider the scope of how to make sure from beginning to end there will be a difference made. What is the overarching idea that you're going to carry to impact your family? And as you do that, God will lead you in specific ways to, to encounter that, that family life. But, but consider it. Don't, don't go off base. Be very careful in this because the tendency within us is to lose hold of what God's desire is within the family. God calls you to be fruitful, multiply, subdue, to become one. The example for us is Jesus and the way that he gave himself up for the benefit of others. What Jesus is saying is that Jesus leverages all of his power and ability for the benefit of his community. Jesus gave his life for his church. Jesus humbled himself even when he didn't need to or have to, for your benefit. Consider this goal. Be very careful in how you live, not as wise, but, or not as unwise, but as wise. Because when we talk about living as wise and unwise, God's desire in that is, isn't that you don't confront obstacles. I'm not telling you keep keep serving, keep serving, and, and, and if something's unhealthy when you're within your relationship, don't approach it. What I'm saying is, even in your service, you get opportunity to approach things. 
Now, the way you do that and how that you do that is important, but, but God's desire in Ephesians, as Paul's thinking about the example, he's encouraging you to, to stay in, in that example. And then he says this in verse 17 and 18, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You come to a passage like this and you say, you know, um, I feel like in giving my life for my family, I feel like I've done that and it's, it's too difficult. I, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm at my breaking point. And that's what verse 18 is here for. Verse 18 reminds us that really when you get to the end of yourself, that is where God works. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. God's not asking you to put your family on your shoulders and you produce the result he wants in your family. What God's asking you is for you to set the table so that he can work in the hearts of your family. Being spirit-filled talks about that for us. In fact, if you, if you looked this week, I know I just said read Ephesians 5, but this is what I really encourage you is to go through the book of Ephesians. Because I can tell you there is a very important division in this book, and you'll, you'll see it when I explain it to you and as you read along. But the first three chapters of Ephesians explains to you what Jesus did for you. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians is now allowing God to work through you. So the book breaks down like this. This is what God did in you. And because of that, now God is able to work through you. And God's not asking you to put this on your shoulders. What God is asking you to do is simply set the table for him to be able to work through you in the lives of the people around you. I know sometimes when, if you're here this morning, you're thinking, oh man, I'm not a believer and you're encouraging my spouse to just shove Jesus down my throat. No, what I'm, what I'm encouraging your spouse to is to love the way that God has called us to love and to live. And what, I, what I'm encouraging your kids to or what I'm encouraging a parent to their child to is, is to love this way that God has called us to love, to give up ourselves for the benefit of that community, to walk in unity as God has called us to. Like who here does not want that? <laughs> to have peace in the home and not just peace, but joy in the home to experience that. And so he says in this passage, be filled with the Spirit, which means it's not putting the omen on you to carry the whole responsibility to make your family perform the way that God has called you to because we're not talking about performance. What we're talking about is allowing the same God that worked in you to work through you and to leverage your power for the benefit of others. Look, chapter one starts off like this in Ephesians. God has blessed you in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing. And then it ends chapter one with talking about the greatness of how God is. But then it starts chapter two and it says this, and you were dead in your sins. You were absolutely dead, which means this. Jesus had no reason to come in and Jesus didn't need to come in because you're sinful before him. But Jesus came in anyway and he leveraged his power in your life to bring you to life in him that you could experience relationship. God has blessed you in the heavenlies. Your God is great. You are dead. And then it says at the end of chapter two, and God created this huge family out of it. 
God created Jew and Gentile, united as one in Christ. And so not only do you see that you come to life in Jesus through that, but then God builds the bonds within family. And then it says in chapter 3, that's why Paul went out into the world to explain this to people, to share the love of God to people, to understand how much God has blessed us. And in that, what God's done for you, God then works through you. And chapter 4 starts on the basis. And this is what I usually encourage families. When, when, when you operate as a family, if you want to understand how to really function, treat one another, what matters, I would tell you, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, if you can make those two chapters themes to your family life and how you guys are just going to make a commitment to treat one another. And that is, it is a beautiful text to, to work through. But I could tell you, uh, even if your family wouldn't be in agreement with that, even on your personal level and in, in yourself, just to read through that passage and understand what it looks like to function in God's family. To understand how to carry that to your family. And be filled with the Spirit. I don't even tell you what it means to be filled with the Spirit, so let me tell you. Be filled with the Spirit. We're given an example at the beginning with talking about wine, which when, when, you, when you drink um, and get drunk, wine controls you, right? You're no longer necessarily uh, completely cognizant of the decisions and things that you're doing. It's, it's, it's messed with your thinking. And so it's saying don't be drunk on, on wine or don't be controlled by it, but rather this, be filled with the Spirit. It means literally be controlled by the Spirit. Can I tell you, when it comes to the Spirit, this is, this is important in understanding how the Spirit operates. Uh, the Spirit isn't always one that, that comes along and gives positive feelings, and this is what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, right? And so what that passage is saying to us is that just because you have a good feeling doesn't necessitate that, that it's the right thing to do. I mean, serial killers have good feelings about killing people. That's why they're serial at it. But that's definitely not a good decision, right? The angel of light, Satan, wants you to feel like certain decisions are the right decisions. He wants to mask things in, way, in ways that give you a positive feeling so that he can get you to walk contrary to the way that God desires to move within your life. And so just because something feels right doesn't make it spirit-filled, which is a different kind of feel, right? And if you ask the Apostle Paul, when he traveled to different regions of the world, like Philippi, he, he wrote and said he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's been jailed. I can imagine I'm sitting beside you, or sitting beside him, and he's getting beaten. I'm like... Paul, does that not feel awesome? He'd be like, no, but do you, uh, do you feel like you're filled with the Spirit? He'd say, yes, I followed God into where I am. And so the point is this, sometimes difficult situations are exactly what the Spirit of God wants you to step into. Be filled with the Spirit. Leverage your power and ability for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did. He took his position as king and he stepped into this world and, and he used it to leverage, even though he didn't have to, to serve. Dads, can I tell you this? When, when we talk about authority and giving up positions of, of authority, just because you humble yourself to serve for the benefit of others doesn't make you less of a man. In fact, if you model after Jesus, I would say this, it makes you a greater man. 
It doesn't say, it doesn't demonstrate that you don't have authority. In fact, what it says is that you have power under control and you understand how powerful that is to take your position as dad or father or husband and leverage that ability for the benefit of family. Ephesians 5, the encouragement is this then, don't be drunk and wine, don't let other things control you. But giving your life to God, allow the Spirit of God to fill you to do this. If I were to think of an illustration, or just think about the personal struggles within your own family, I think what this passage is saying is that God's the one that created family, spiritual biological or however it looks, God created it. And God's the one that desires to work in it according to his will. And God's painting for family is beautiful. It's loving, it's joy, it's, it's peace, it's making an impact, it's, it's getting together in the hard times and, and working through it with one another. It's having a team on your side. It's having someone in your corner. It's knowing that you can depend on people when, when you're on the mountaintops and knowing you can depend on others when you're in the struggles. That, 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 that is important. And here's what else is important. In order to accomplish what God desires or in order to see God move that way within your family, it's important to have God with you in doing that. And so being spirit-filled it welcomes him into your life. It means spirit-controlled. Here's, here's where it happens. It's, it's found when you lay yourself down before God and you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm at the end of myself. Lord, have your way. You're not changing people. Look, if we go through the series together, and especially when we start talking about chaos, and you, you're like, um, yeah, it's them. You know, if you start pointing the finger, yeah, yeah, it's all their fault. It's all their, it's, it's, it's you putting the omen on just changing people and, and making people the problem. But can I tell you, whenever there's tension in relationships, the other person is never the problem. Can I tell you what it is? It's sin. Your child or your spouse, they're not the problem, it's sin. And as long as you keep attacking each other, you're never going to address the problem. Paul gives us the opportunity in this passage to lay ourselves down for the benefit of others. And listen, this is what he says. Not only are you laying yourself down for, for uh, Christ, but it says this in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. You know, when, when bad things happen, we tend to isolate our, ourselves. I mean, when, when you think of even people groups, if, if there's certain people groups where, where bad things happen or, or there's some relationship where bad things happen, you, we, we tend to just push it aside and say all of that is bad and, and move away from that. And, and what the Bible is saying here is, is rather than isolate it, if God's working in your heart, God's moving in your life, God is actually using you to push back the darkness to reconcile in the hearts of other people. As God came into the darkness of your life and, and rescued you, Ephesians 1 through 3, God now uses you as the opportunity to work towards others. And so isolating will never help because God has now come into your life to use you as the light. 
And so isolation doesn't benefit one another. What helps is when someone takes their power and ability to leverage for the benefit of others. How beautiful that looks within the church when that happens. In fact, I would say this verse echoes Genesis 2.18 when God created woman. He said this, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. When you think about the, the giftedness of the wife or, or, or the husband or the giftedness of people within the church, how, how, how that beauty just looks when it operates in serving one another and, and, and each other's talents and gifts. And so he says in Ephesians 5.21, he's not even talking about family yet. He hasn't even gotten to that verse. It starts in the next chapter, or next, very next verse after this. But in this verse, he's saying to the church, to the community, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That God has gifted you for that in each other's lives. And so when, when you press into one another and you, you lean into one another, you're leveraging your ability to the benefit of each other. And think about personal relationships, maybe within the family. Maybe wives or husbands, one of you within that relationship is saying, you know, I'm leaning as far as I can right now, but I am, I'm about to fall over. And the other spouse finds a place here in these passages or another person to find the opportunity to, to, to lean in as well because this says, submit to one another. And Paul goes on from here. He then spreads for us the detail. If you're saying to yourself, okay, how does this look in submission to one another? Well, the rest of the book goes on to explain that in the relationship dynamic. He begins by talking to the wives. He dives into the whole uh, relational aspect of, of family living. But he says this. This should say 522, by the way, not 21. Wives. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Like if I could just say probably the most popular Bible verse, ladies, you would say that one, right? And that's it. Submission to husband, right? But can I tell you, this, this, is, this, is, this is the way, this is a healthy way to approach this verse, okay? Because I, I know plenty of guys that have gone to this verse and whenever you're in the home and the wife's not agreeing, you're like, hey, the Bible says you have to submit to me, right? But let me just say, set the table first, guys, This verse is talking to women, not to you, okay? Second, this verse is an example. I mean, he just said in the previous verse, submit to one another. And so guys, even though this verse is talking specifically to the ladies, it doesn't leave you without responsibility in submitting as well. It said that in verse 21. This mutual submission. And so he's saying in verse 22, you want the example Here it is. Wives, now live that with your husbands. Submit to one another. And in verse 25, guys, if you think quoting that verse to your wives is the way to go, let me tell you, verse 25 sounds way harder to me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like she submits, you go die. Ladies, I don't know how you can use that later, but I hope you get the diamond ring. Except for my wife, I can't afford it. I'm just kidding. She, she in here? Good. Okay. I won't use that illustration next sermon. Um, but then it talks about children. Children, you want to know what it looks like in submission? Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. I know you parents want me to quote that again, so I will. Children, 
Obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> this is right, right? I mean, you see it right now. Paul is laying out this, this dynamic of family, surrendering to each other, leaning to each other uh, for the benefit of one another. And then in verse 4, look what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, I just, I just studied this passage recently on a book John MacArthur wrote. And I say recently, like I think I read a book last year on it. <laughs> but, but he said something important in verse 4. I tried to remember the title. I couldn't. So here it is. He said this in verse 4. And the word fathers... Uh, th- this word for father in the Greek is, is actually the word for father. But this word can also be translated a- as parents, the ones that oversee children too. So I think he's leaning into the fathers here because he's saying, okay, fathers, um, when it comes to the family dynamic, I'm holding you responsible. But, but, but really, this could be with the parents. And so he's saying, consider the way you're, you're using your leveraging power to encourage your children. Are you pay, placing so much on them that they can't live up to the expectations? Now, you think as a parent, when you have a, 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 a baby, what goes into that? Because I can tell you in the beginning, the baby's not like, how can I leverage my power for the benefit of this family? <laughs> They're like, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to scream, you're going to feed me, I'm going to go to the bathroom, you're going to change me, I'm going to smile because I'm passing gas, and then we're going to repeat the cycle. And the minute I see you falling asleep, I'm going to scream to let you know I, that you fell asleep, right? I mean, they're just, they're, they're asking you to leverage everything that you have for their benefit, right? But over time, as you work with children, they see how they can contribute to, to the family, where, where they fit in. So I think it's saying in this passage, uh, parents, fathers, don't put so much on your children that they, they only fail, right? It just frustrates them. But rather in discipline and instruction, show them how to succeed. Show them, contrary to the world, that life isn't all about them. That in reality, when you live life in community, you experience the joy of what life is about because God's called you to relationship. And the reality, when you choose not to live in community, the, what you end up doing is isolating yourself and you, you create people only or you encounter people only to serve you. And in the end, no one's really happy with that. But family, family, God created both spiritual and physical for the benefit of one another to the benefit of this world. When you answer the question, what God has created us for, it gives us the opportunity then to leverage our power and ability. It gives us the opportunity to start to answer questions and how can we work through conflict? Because when you approach conflict or when you approach building bonds for your family solely focused on yourself, it doesn't work. So this is what I know about counseling and counselors. Whenever you go into a meeting, if, if you were to sit down with a counselor and you've got some struggle in your life that you want to work through as it relates to someone else, uh, one of the first things they want to find out is if you're willing. Are you willing to work through that? Because if you're not willing, nothing can work through that. But in a willing heart, all it takes is one willing heart to not give up. In Ephesians, that's what the illustration is. You were dead. God's heart was willing and inclined towards you. He didn't give up. 
and in you and surrendering your life in Ephesians 5, being filled with the Spirit, God uses that to leverage for the benefit of your family. And so I would say this in the end, just to consider within our hearts, is there hope for your family? Yes. And the reason is to God, the reason why is because to God, family matters. And here's what the Bible tells us, that his Spirit, it is the great counselor. In fact, in the book of John, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the counselor. And so this morning, we're not asking or we're not saying, put it all on your shoulders and go fix it. What we're seeking together is a willing heart that just as God miraculously works in you, that you would give your life to set the table to allow the Lord to now work through you. We're gonna talk in the next couple of weeks and when the family doesn't function the way that you want it to, even though you're, you're following after the Lord and you're surrendering your life, how can you continue to do that without giving away your happiness, but still allow God to just continue to use you and work through you? This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.